Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are back with a special deep dive episode. Uh, Season 2 of The Mandalorian has kicked off, and they have finally released Episode 5. And you know, that number is, uh, that's sort of the the GT5 signal up in the sky. So it's time for the top geeks to take a look and uh, really dig into what we've got so far. Um, Especially considering the heavy levels of lore and fan service that have been dropping in these last ones. It's, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, is is interesting about Mandalorian, and it's something that it shares in common with uh, comic books, and not just Mandalorian, I mean uh, Star Wars in general, is that a lot of the continuity is is has been rebooted and is kind of a mess. So I may need some hand-holding through some of these uh, details here. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> well, that's not true. Some of us are obsessive-compulsive about Star Wars and have it very clearly laid out what's canon and what's not. But, you know, people who aren't crazy, maybe you could benefit from some of the stuff that we have to talk about. Um, okay. So, yeah, let's uh, let's just get right to it, because uh, there is a lot to talk about. Uh, season 2 debuted with Chapter 9, The Marshal. It's kind of cool that they're they're continuing as if it's one long story. It's not, you know book two chapter one this is chapter nine Uh, yeah it was an interesting take especially since the end of chapter eight the end of season one was very much you know the end of an arc um like like you you, if you only got the first season you feel like there's a complete story there so yeah but because it's the continuing story of the mandalorian and the child uh who you know we may not be calling the child much longer uh they they they're it's that continuing story so it's kind of like, you know how some books, they're broken into chapters, but also into acts. Maybe yeah. it's more like an act one, act two sort of thing. Or books that have books in them. Like this yeah. Book one, book two, and the same book. That, that, that always made me. But anyway, that's that's, a, that's in the weeds. Um, October 30th, the return of the Mandalorian after all this time. Um, chapter nine, one of the longest ones that's been released to date. This was 54 minutes. This This one felt like a Star Wars movie in a lot of ways. Um, this is the one where the, he returns to, to Tatooine and runs into Marshall Cobb Vanth, who's wearing Boba Fett's armor. Yeah, so it starts off right from the get-go with in, uh, something to, to really bring the hardcore Star Wars fans on board. Like, if for any reason you were lost after Season 1, for if for whatever reason there was something about Season 1 that didn't grip you, what, as soon as you saw someone wearing... Boba Fett's armor, you were back on board. Yeah, that is an icon, and I'm on the record for saying I never really understood why. Like, I get Boba Fett looks cool, but, like, never the strongest character in the movies, but damn, did he get an expanded... Like, the the toys and the comic books and the video games, like, they've all set themselves out that, like, Boba Fett is a badass, apparently. I, or was. I think it was... I think it was the whole man of mystery thing, you know? It was like, he, he never saw his face... He just seemed to be a really capable bounty hunter. He actually managed to succeed in his mission and capture uh, Han Solo, and then, well, kind of, and then uh, in Return of the Jedi, he's dispatched in the most embarrassing way possible. So you'd think that would take away some of his thunder, but... No, I mean, there's that scene in Empire where he talks back to Vader and Vader doesn't kill him. 
Yeah. And that's one of the traditional, like, that's a very comic book thing. When you introduce a new villain, you have them, like, be tough to the older villains to show how cool they are. Like, the fact that even Darth Vader is like, okay, guy, like, we can work together here. You know, we don't, don't get mad. We don't have to, like, that tells the audience, okay, this guy's got some, I don't want to use the word moxie because it's not 1920, <laughs> but. Think, yeah, and I don't think uh, that word has ever been used to describe Boba Fett. Well, hey, listen, folks, here on Geek Top 5, the, uh, <laughs> it's a first. Anywho, it's not Boba Fett in the armor. It's Cobb Vanth, which is, yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm comfortable calling that a deep cut, right? I mean, to, like, this Okay, well, I didn't know. Is he is he a character from before The Mandalorian? He is. Cobb okay. Vanth was created by author Chuck Wendig, who wrote the first trilogy of novels after the Disney acquisition of Star Wars. And this gets back to what you were talking about, about canon versus non-canon. It's, so Disney buys Star Wars, and there are a million books and a ton of games and a bunch of, even the other movies, where the property was basically licensed out, and it covers hundreds of years of Star Wars fiction. And Disney says, well, we can't. Like, like, all, like these, this stuff even contradicts each other, like much less stuff that we want to do. That doesn't work. So what we're going to say is that a lot of this Star Wars stuff is considered legends, which means it may not be what, it, quote, actually, unquote, happened. Uh, could Correct. be similar. And we've seen some of that now and then. But what we're going to do now is everything that now that, you know, the Star Wars lives in the House of Mouse, everything that comes out from here, we're going to try to coordinate it so it all makes sense. Think like the MCU. The Marvel movies, where, like, those movies, different characters, different places, but they all follow the same string. So the first books that come out that are canon, that are, yes, this actually happened, were the Aftermath trilogy by Chuck Wendig. Uh, the first one came out in 2015, where he introduces sort of a side character, the character of Cobb Vanth, who is a good guy on Tatooine, and he sort of is, becomes, like, the sheriff, the marshal. And that's the character who appears on this screen. And they even, when he's narrating to, 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 the Man, to the Mandalorian how he got his armor, like that scene is described in the book, and it's pretty pretty accurate. Oh, okay. So that so so the fact that Cobb Vanth had the Boba Fett armor, that's not new. No. Oh, okay. That's that was in there. But the only people who know that are the people who are into Star Wars enough to have read that trilogy. And even then, the books aren't about him. He short, sort of start like, these books have a lot of side stories, like little one-chapter sort of interstitials. And he's sort of, like, the adventures of Cobb Vanth are sort of a recurring thing over these three books. But he's not the main arc. So he's a side does character. It tie, does it tie together in any way? Or are these just, like... Honestly, Bonus. I think what they are, they're there to be used exactly like the Mandalorian has used it. I think they're there to be seeds for other creators to pick up on. Wow. Like, huh. he, here's other cool things that may be happening. Cool is relative. Okay. Another one is, like, whatever happened to Jar Jar. So there's that, too. Wait, that that's covered in the book, too? Yeah, yeah. There's a brief wow. chapter where he's basically he's a clown and he entertains children for a living. Which, <laughs> I mean, isn't that much well, of a change. So Yeah. <laughs> In any case... Hey, he was a senator. Oh, yeah, he was a senator, briefly. Gave Palpatine emergency powers. Technically, Rise of the Empire. Could all be blamed on him. Mm, (laughs) Anyway. Anyway, Mandalorian. (laughs) So long story short, the Mando and the Marshal have to team up uh, with a bunch of villagers and a bunch of sand people all working together to kill a crate dragon. 
which is another deep cut, is a creature that we know comes from Tatooine, never mentioned in any of the movies. But you remember at the start of the original Star Wars movie when 3 is wandering in the desert, he wanders past like a dead monster skeleton? It's, yes. It's, that's it. That's a great dragon. I, I also know that uh, Phyllis Diller voiced one in an episode of Robot Chicken. So, you know, I can do deep cuts, too. There you go. Different kind of deep cut. Um... <laughs> Listen, takeaway number one, like, they're pulling in a lot of sort of specialist lore. Like, none of this stuff is really necessary to enjoy the episode, but people who are really into Star Wars keep pointing at the screen and going, oh, I know what that is. Like, right up until at the end, like, the, the Tusken Raiders find the pearl in the dead crate dragon. And it's like, like there's a, like in the Star Wars role-playing game and like KOTOR, the, the video game, there's a couple instances like you can find a valuable pearl inside a crate dragon and use it for a lightsaber crystal. But it's never it's never part of anything, and it doesn't seem to be part of the arc of the Mandalorian either. It's just like a, a nod to the fans. Right. And I guess a way to get the Tusken Raiders to join up with them, or a justification for why they joined up with uh, Cobb. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, not getting eaten by this giant not-a-dune worm <laughs> seemed like justification enough to me, but hey. Um, takeaways, I mean, I thought this episode was great. I would have paid, like, price of a theater ticket to see this. Like, this was, uh, like, this was a hell of a rocking adventure. I really, like, this was a very strong way for the episode to come back, like, for the series, rather, to relaunch its new season. That was, that was a strong television. Yeah, I... I... I can't remember how I can't remember what we said on the first Mandalorian episode we did, but I I wasn't the biggest fan of the first season. It it I felt like it really ebbed and flowed, but uh, this episode really got me back on board. It was I was sort of half committed at the beginning of the episode, but by the end I was fully on board. It was uh, it was really enjoyable, a very good Western episode. And on that note another deep cut referencing and one of the great things that the Mandalorian does is that guest stars you never know who's going to show up and they're always a bigger name than you expect playing a smaller role than you expect so Timothy Oliphant played Cobb Vanth and he probably is best known or his, his most critically acclaimed role the thing that sort of made him a name is the show called Deadwood and this weak way bartender who's in the Tatooine town that uh, Cobb Vanth guards, is played by another actor from Deadwood. So it was a nice little touch to have the two of them back together. Right, right. Very clever. <laughs> I just, man, the... I mean, it's probably important to note, like, I mean, so John Favreau of, I mean, of everything, very big, <laughs> popular personality these days. Yeah, I think um, uh, he's best known as uh, one of Monica's boyfriends on Friends. Yes, yes, that. Also something with Marvel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, John Favreau is the sort of creator and showrunner of Mandalorian, but he also directed this. And I think that shows, especially in that final action scene, which, let's face it, is very Marvel is very, I guess you could call it Disney now. Uh, but like, like his supreme talents definitely shone through. And in my heck, I mean, and even on the technical level, like, like we, we, I mean, my wife and I were watching and we were looking at it when they started fighting the dragon. And we sort of did a double take and said it changed, right? And we had to double back to check. And yet, like the aspect ratio that it's filmed in changes. Like, like, like the quickest way you notice it on your TV is it's not letterboxed all of a sudden when they're fighting this monster. 
And I mean, I was thinking to myself at first, like, did they film it in IMAX or something? And I, I don't know that I got a great answer on it, but I, I believe they do have IMAX-capable cameras, and so... Kind of, yeah, they did film it in IMAX. Yeah. I mean, certainly the quality and, I mean, and the size of the frame changes there, and it just looked spectacular. Um, and I can't imagine how expensive an episode of television this was. I mean, they were saying in the first season, each episode averaged $15 million per episode, which already is, is crazy. But this blew that out of the water, the special effects and the prop work that they had to do for this. I mean... I, I have watched feature-length movies that didn't cost as much as this episode of TV. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Uh, before we, we move on, we got to talk about the sort of surprise cameo from the end of the episode, right? We do. Um, obviously, you're talking about R5-D4. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't, but cut. please tell me that one. <laughs> the um, In A New Hope, when they're going to buy the astromech, and they oh. don't buy R2-D2, and R2-D2 sabotages it. Luke calls it red. It's got a bad motivator. Like, that's... I didn't... R2-D2 sabotages it? I'm learning so much here. Yeah. Um, they end up <laughs> buying R2-D2 instead, and it's it's that droid. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, it even Very has, nice like, touch. the scorch marks where that thing blew up, so... <laughs> Uh, but no, no, you're probably not talking about that. That's stupid and insane. What kind of person would notice that? <clears throat> uh, no, you're talking about that on the way out, we see... Uh, so Mandalorian's finished his job. He's collected Boba Fett's armor. He's on the way out. And he's being watched by a grizzled old figure uh, played by Tamuera Morrison, uh, who played the all the clones uh, in the prequel trilogy. And all, presumably that's what Boba Fett would look like. Well, and just let's... I think we have to be a bit more clear than that. So the clones were all cloned from Jango Fett, who is Boba Fett's father, but Boba Fett is also a clone of him. So so it's a bunch of clone stuff, and it was like the worst possible explanation for Boba Fett they, that George Lucas could have imagined, but we're stuck with it now, and they're rolling with it. So they brought back the, 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 the guy, the, the original clone, or, I mean, yeah. And yeah, the original actor of the <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. Obviously, the implication is supposed to be that Boba Fett isn't actually dead. Um, he's misplaced his armor, but he may still be out there. And this also sort of maybe is connected to a tease in season one, uh, after the ep episode with the um, the gunslinger at the end, when we think Fennec Shand is dead, and right at the end of the episode, we see a figure approach her corpse, and sort of the spurs sound effect it makes when it's walking is the same sound that Boba Fett made when he was walking around. So it seems like if that's what they're doing, they've been teasing this for a while, and maybe it's building up to something, because Boba Fett was the biggest, baddest Mandalorian around until this Mandalorian. And yes, I'm counting Jango Fett in that. Jango Fett was never big or bad. <laughs> and it was never clear, to, to my knowledge, at least not in the movies, that he was Mandalorian. He just had Mandalorian armor, but even then, I don't think that was said on screen. That's actually disputed. That's a big popular topic of debate among <laughs> Star Wars geeks, is whether or not the Fets were actually Mandalorians or just bounty hunters who stole the armor. There's a case to be made for either side. That's a whole other podcast on its own, and but, I'll cut to but the... Just for my, for my edification here, in the prequel movies, the word Mandalorian is never said, right? I don't believe so. When you think, when you think Now that you mention it, no. They okay. don't really call out the armor or talk about where they're from. Okay. Now, just, just yeah. Now I feel better. 
Okay, and now the term Mandalorian is used all over the Clone Wars, which is the prequel era cartoon. Uh, Mandalore everywhere, and a character who we know to be untrustworthy is very passionate about describing that the Fets are not Mandalorians, but we know that this dude's full of it, so we have no idea if it's true or not. So there's your short, short version. And uh, we learn later in the season that there isn't one single type of Mandalorian either, so it just gets more and more complicated. Yeah. (laughs) That's the problem with having a fandom that spans 50 years. (laughs) Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on episode one. Um, Great way to to kick it off. I think we were both thrilled with it. Uh, That pretty much covers that. Let's move on to the next one. Uh, Season two, episode two, chapter 10, The Passenger. Uh, still written by John Favreau, but directed by Peyton Reed, who, as far as I can tell, is probably best known for directing the Ant-Man movies, but he has done other stuff as well. Yeah, I believe he also directed the cheerleader movies, Bring It On, or the first one, and uh, he his career sort of tanked when he did a weird musical with Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger called Down With Love. Ah, well, that explains why Ant-Man is one of the biggest things on there, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Um, this is the one, yeah, because if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen it, where Mando gets a job to transport a frog lady, um, and <laughs> and they end up crashing on an ice planet and fighting a bunch of spiders. And that really is the short version. This was definitely one of those episodes that either you love it or you hate it because it doesn't contribute much to the larger arc. It, it definitely felt the way a lot of the first season episodes felt to me, where it was just sort of kind of filling time, but I enjoyed it more than than some of those. It, it still felt like he was working towards a goal and it was a it was a didn't fit the formula of that first season where it was like he would arrive, he would solve a problem, he would get a bit of information and leave. This was just like accident after accident and had consequences that carried on from this episode, which I enjoyed and uh the frog lady was I was a little, <laughs> I was a little surprised when she first appeared on screen. She was not what I was expecting from a Star Wars alien. But over the course of the next couple of episodes, you really kind of grow to like her. Yeah, you get you get a lot of personality and a lot of like you under, understanding the motivation when you know she only has a couple of lines and it's not really her doing the talking. Um, she, right, right, right. Yeah, she hooks herself up to the dead assassin droid, the Q nine zero. And yells at the Mandalorian through its voice, which is fun because he has such a grating voice anyway, so it was appropriate yeah. for the the tone she was going for. British comedian Richard Aoti. Um, this one, I mean, I feel like on rewatches, this might be one that I... I mean, so far the show is short enough that if I'm rewatching it, I'll watch all of them. But if it turns out to be five, six seasons, this may be one I kind of pass up on. Well... I, it has it has more fun cameo stuff in it, like uh, the the father from the Canadian sitcom from Kim's uh, Convenience. Kim's Convenience. He yeah. plays an X-wing pilot in it, and for, I think anyone in Canada watching it was like, "What? Why is the is Appa from Kim's Kim's Convenience flying an X-wing?" But the, he's great. Yeah, this guy, this actor is Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Um, you're asking that question? It actually has an answer. Uh, so it turns out, so Dave Filoni, uh, who's sort of like the apprentice to George Lucas, he's sort of making Star Wars great again. Um, 
God. <laughs> he apparently is a big Kim's Convenience fan and wrote the role with this guy in mind only after discovering that Paul Sun Hyung Lee is a is huge in the cosplay community with Star Wars <laughs> Ghostbusters cosplay. And he replied to Dave Filoni with like profile shots and stuff in his own X Wing outfit. <laughs> Is that what he wore in the episode? Apparently, Dave Filoni was quoted as saying, well, he could just bring that and we won't need to costume him. <laughs> I don't know for sure if that's what he wore. I doubt it. There's probably rules about that kind of thing. But then again, a lot of the stormtroopers at the end of season one are from the, the 501st, the cosplayers. So it's it's a tough call. <laughs> but yeah, this guy apparently is a huge Star Wars dork. <laughs> and isn't Dave Filoni the other X-Wing pilot? And Dave Filoni is the other <laughs> X-Wing pilot, re- reprising his role from season one. Um, living my dream of fl- like growing up to fly an X-Wing. Uh, to be fair, he's earned it. But yeah, it's, he, he's named his character Trapper Wolf. Which, oh, man. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah... Uh, Kim's Convenience Dad, um, the character is named Carson Teva, but we need to ever hear the name on screen. But yeah, plays the role. He, they they are on like an X-Wing patrol and encounter the Mandalorian, and there's some consequences from their attack on the New Republic prison ship in Season 1, and there's a fun sort of dogfight chase with the X-Wings, which is great. Yeah, and the way that, uh, that... One of the things I really like about the Mandalorian as a character, I was thinking about this when I was watching the most recent episode is that he's he's not a flawless badass like he he has trouble he's not it's not always flawless victories when he gets into trouble and so he struggles against these x-wing pilots it it works out and he ends up they sort of help each other but his ship gets messed up and there are consequences and he's he's a good bounty hunter but he's not perfect he's not great yeah, he doesn't fall into that sort of American action hero thing where it's like he's a good bounty hunter and a good pilot and a good gun arm and a good card player and a good, like you know it's like yeah you know, great you can be great in one category and not in a bunch of others which is very 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 realistic. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that he, shows in this one like he makes mistakes and that shit yeah. gets messed up. And he in I don't know if it happens in this episode, but in other episodes he gets shot, and it's like if he didn't have that Beskar armor, he would be dead. And he, it's he's he's just lucky, and he uses what he's got to his best advantage. But he's not flawless, and I like that about it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happens in this episode that blew up certain segments of the internet is that uh, the child, the baby Yoda, um, he eats some of the frog lady's eggs. That, that she's, like, desperately protecting. It's her last chance to have kids with her husband. It's this, like, jar full of eggs. And Baby Yoda really wants to eat them and eats a few of them, and it makes him seem like a baby killer or something. I, you know, it was a little shocking when I saw it, but, you know, he's a little, supposed to be a little kid. What are you going to do? He's hungry. Yeah, exactly. He's a toddler putting into his mouth whatever he can get. Yeah, I think most of the actual, you know, outrage of that was was intended humorously. Uh, okay. I think if you're the kind of person who saw that and was like, oh, what disgusting behavior, meh, then I, I don't think that's a real person. <laughs> this, <laughs> I hope you're right. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would say let us know if we're wrong, but if you are, I can't imagine you're still listening to this podcast because... I mean, I'm sure if that's your bar for being offended, I'm sure we've crossed that line before. 
Um, so yeah, there's that, and I guess the only other thing in this episode is the spiders, is the ice planet spiders we see. Um, there are also a throwback to like some con- Ralph McQuarrie concept art that never got used, and mm. they're also very similar to a species of like sort of spider monsters we see in Star Wars Rebels. Um, in okay. seasons three and four on the planet Adalon, it's pretty clear they're meant to be the same thing. So that's a, a fun little Star Wars thing, I guess. It's not that big a deal. Uh, but yeah, they they end up you know hip deep in spiders, and things look grim. And then these New Republic pilots show up and save their ass. And that's it's interesting. It, I wasn't sure how I felt about it before, but I think I I'm kind of getting on to the. Like, the, the X-Wing pilots being sort of like the federal marshal visiting all the towns out west? Yeah. Yeah, the more I watch of the show, the more it's very much a western. Yeah, and that, like, so initially I was like, why are the starfighter pilots, like, landing and, like, fighting these? But I think I get it. Like, I, I see it, like, like they're, they're setting up this new government and there are these folks, you know, riding out into the, you know, the unsettled frontier and doing the best they can to uphold the law and, you know, bring justice and stuff to people. And I kind of dig that vibe. Uh, yeah, I, I there, like there's something going. in the most recent episode that uh, I, I'll bring us back to this, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of that, this feeling of, um, you know, like Deadwood, these outlaw communities, these people on the outer edges of society trying to survive, and that's why everything looks like crap. Like, I'm sure if you get closer to Coruscant, it all looks like big cities still, but And they're here, probably not sending individual fighter pilots to yeah. be like the lawmen either, right? Yeah. You get General Organa Solo or whatever visiting. Yeah. I'm sure they have actual cops there, but uh, no, I get it. It's it's and it's that it's sort of scratching that Firefly itch, which yeah, like it, it almost feels like an insult. Like you know, Star Wars came before Firefly, but for a while there, when Star Wars was bad, Firefly was our only hope. So it's it it, it kind of feels good to have them both in the same place. Hmm. Anyway, okay. We'll, let's yeah, do we'll circle the back next to one. that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So let's move on to the third one, Chapter Eleven, The Heiress. Uh, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who I didn't know was a director, so I learned something today. Um, I think she directed an episode in season one. She's the daughter of uh, the director of Solo, so, you know, uh, Star Wars in the family. Yeah, I suppose. This is, see, this is great. This is why we're such a great team. I've got all the ridiculous, <laughs> nonsense, inside stuff on, like, the fictional stuff, and you know it all about the real world. <laughs> the real world, probably more useful at the end of the day, but, hey, yeah. still working together as a team. Uh, so this is the first one that dropped sort of a heavy fan service bomb. Um, we don't need to dance around it. This is the episode where we saw the first live action appearance of the character Bo-Katan Kreese, uh, played by by Katie Starbuck Sackhoff, um, who's been voiced by Katie Sackhoff since like 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. Has it always been her? It has always been her. It uh, it hasn't always looked like her, although that might maybe more to do to the like sort of dysmorphic art style of the cartoons. Like they're not right. Those, like they don't look like real people. They look like cartoons. But the but the way she looked in this episode, she looked a lot like the character. And I don't just mean the perfectly matching outfit. I mean the face matches. So pretty sure they, they had hair, that in they, mind. Yeah, they they did the whole whole nine yards there. This is another one with a lot of interesting. Uh, cameos like Sasha Banks this wrestler is another Mandalorian in it and Titus Welliver who uh, played Bosch on the uh, Amazon Prime series and 
He was a villain in Lost. He's uh, he's an Imperial officer in this. So Bo-Katan has been a major sort of Mandalorian. She was an antagonist for a while and then sort of like untrustworthy ally in the cartoons in Star Wars Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. And also really the highlight of one of these things that we've been talking about since Mandalorian season one, where it's you know, Mandalorian in season one was all, this is the way. And in the cartoons, well, they're taking their helmets off all over the place. <laughs> they finally, yeah. ed- like, they finally addressed that. And very clearly, it's almost like they were talking to the camera where they were like, this is why we, this is different now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of, I took it as like the Mandalorian, our main character, whose name I can never remember. is just like Sure. The Mandalorian, <laughs> Mando. <laughs> yeah, he he's orthodox, and uh, Starbuck, uh, Bo-Katan. She's uh, you know more secular. She's reformed Mandalorian. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the same conversation over here. It's yeah, you know, it's still Mandalorian, but only only like Mando Christmas and Mando Easter, <laughs> right? Yeah, you don't end up at Mando Church twice a week. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, so this episode, I like. Yeah, yeah, this episode was fine. He joins up with them, and, like, they go on a quest. They fight some Imperials, and in return, uh, she tells him where to go to try to find a Jedi to deliver the child to, and drops the name Ahsoka Tano, which should have blown everyone's minds if it hadn't already been announced, like, ages ago that Rosario Dawson was going to be portraying Ahsoka Tano in live action. And that blew up the internet, but people were still pretty jazzed when she said it. We're going to have to explain who that is, but let's wait till her episode before yeah. we really do a deep dive on that. What what else can you tell us about Bo-Katan? Like, she, is, is she the heir to Mandalore or something? Yeah, yeah. It's a long road that covers, so between Clone Wars and Rebels, what's like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 seasons of cartoons. But yeah, it's, so she's a bad guy, she's a good guy, she's a terrorist, she's got her heart in the right place. The last time we see Bo-Katan in uh, the cartoons, in the last season of Star Wars Rebels, she's pretty much the, the heir apparent to the throne of Mandalore. Like, she's inherited this position from her sister. It's her family that's supposed to be, like, uniting all the clans. Like, she had the Darksaber, the big MacGuffin, at the end of season one of Mando, the last time we saw it. So there's a whole story that we haven't seen yet about how it gets from her to Moff Gideon. Exactly. We've heard these references to The Purge, and apparently, like, Mandalorians aren't even on Mandalore anymore. Like, it sounds like stuff with the Empire didn't go well. Um, but yeah, so it looks like so the, the Mandalorians were fighting the Empire. They're going to take their planet back. She had the cool black lightsaber, and now she's sort of a pirate, and she's looking for the dark saber. And Moff Gideon has it. I keep wanting to call him Gus. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> um, not much else happened in this episode, but it's worth noting that like. One of the things I liked about this is that we saw, I don't want to say what real Mandalorians look like in action, but like the way you talk about how Mando has flaws, this is like, this is peak Mandalore, right? She's like the queen of all Mandalore and she kicks ass and it's a noticeable difference between her and between Mando. Yeah. He, they're more precise and he's, he's more of like a, a blunt force. Yeah. I did think it was a little strange how different their armor looked, though. Um, and to be clear, their armor looks exactly like it looked in the cartoon, but the cartoon is heavily stylized, 
right? And so when you see in this live action, like they have the Mandalorian helmets, but the like the T visor now, it's all peaked. Like it's almost like it's got like a Mickey ears in the visor, and and also they're kind of thin and wiry, whereas Mando is built like a tank. Right. It, maybe it comes down to the orthodox thing again. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and plus, I mean, we know that the armor tends to be customized, right? So it should be that she uses a lighter, sleeker armor. Like, there's, there's nothing in there that breaks canon or anything. It just felt strange seeing the two look side by side, right? All the live-action Mandalorian armor up to this point has been kind of samey. It's been kind of bulky. It's been kind of big, both from, like, the Mandalorian and all the other Mandalorians in Season 1 and from, like, Boba Fett, Jango Fett. Seeing, like, the different kind of armor, and I don't know, I feel like I would have expected it to be adapted more to live-action. Like, it, it seems more cartoony, less realistic. Is that just me? I didn't notice it, but I wasn't looking that closely. I was like, hey, look, it's Starbuck. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, two very different ways of looking at this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I I thought, uh, honestly, I didn't really think much of it, but because all the three Mandalorians that we see in this working together, they all have armor that's clearly matching. So maybe theirs is more built as, like, a military armor, more like a factory built, whereas the Mandalorian's is more hand-built. Or the other way around. I mean, who knows? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know know the Mandalorian's was made by that welder lady in Season 1, right? Right, but, I mean, it also looks a lot like it. Like, all the chest plates have been the same up to this point, right? So maybe she's building it like to a blueprint, and and the and the Death Watch like the, uh, what, what it wouldn't be Death Watch anymore. I guess Bo-Katan's group would be the Night Owls now. N I T E Night Owls at this point in history. Um, maybe their armor is more customized. I mean, this is. I, I mean, well, I want to talk about Sabine Wren, which is a whole other character. Is going to add another ten minutes to this, and she, but she wasn't even in this in these episodes so far. So. I'm sure she'll be in next season. We can do a deep dive on her then. Yeah, if not even by the end of this one, because of some some hints that are getting dropped. But we'll uh, we'll we'll get there. Long story short, um, in t- this episode, I liked it. I thought it was fine. I think the only thing that happens in it is the like the live action Bo-Katan and other Mandalorians. Um, I. I liked seeing all the Quarians. Um, I, I I had like a Star Wars guide. Oh, oh the, right, the the Mon Cal's and the Quarians in the same place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it, like when I was a, a kid, I had a, a guidebook to Star Wars characters. And for some reason, the idea of the Quarians and the Mon Calamari coming from the same planet and having different experiences with water and their different relationship always struck me as as interesting and it never really came up anywhere in in any of the live action stuff so this is the first time we saw that kind of society and i also like this this uh sort of ocean side world that we landed on where they're they're it's always stormy and there are people sitting next to the water eating big bowls of soup to stay warm uh, i i like the world building yeah there's some cool environmental stuff for sure you're right i shouldn't skip over that i really liked when he like when he tr- he almost lands it but ends up in the water and you see they have this sort of jerry-rigged at thing with a crane head yeah out, and there's this really cool wide shot of that sort of thing happening and you're looking at that and just that's i get that like that and that's very star wars like how they yeah, repurposed like the it into something useful. It was really cool. Right. 
I, we literally said repurposing at the same time. I don't think anyone's ever jinxed over repurposing. I mean, we are the top geeks, but... <laughs> <laughs> also, the Haman Cal that he gets to repair his ship is wearing... Like, he's wearing like, close enough to space overalls, but you don't notice. But he's got a sweater on under there, and I've seen some funny posts about that. Like, like, it, like it looks like a sweater that you could go and buy at, like, an Eaton's. If Eaton's was still in business. <laughs> <laughs> and it just... I mean, of course he's wearing a sweater. It's an ocean planet. It's probably drafty. But by the same token, it's like... <laughs> you know what I mean, right? It's a space sweater. Yeah, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> I saw somebody had replicated the pattern um, and, and was selling the pattern if you wanted to knit your own sort of Moncal sweater. So there's that if you want to Google for it. <laughs> oh, I will. <laughs> Moncal, not Quarren, but also you know they kept the thing like in the in expanded universe and legends they sort of trend towards the Moncals, like the Admiral Akbar species with the eyes on the turrets being good guys, and the Quarren, the species with the tentacle faces, being bad guys, and they sort of did that in this episode too, which I guess is a tribute to that relationship. But like, like the core in this episode were jerks, and the Mon Cows were yeah. very helpful and polite. And it's like, hmm, yeah, it's, it's, is that a, a tribute or, or is it just racist? I mean, Star Wars has never done a great job of differentiating its species. You know, it's not as bad as Star Trek, but it's close. A yeah. lot of species have one personality type. You know, all huts are gangsters, that kind of thing. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been more interesting if uh, Jabba had just been an outlier and, and, like, all the other huts were noble and pure? They just <laughs> happened to look like hideous slugs. All, all the other huts were, like, like, knights of the round table. They all spoke with, like, posh British accents. Yeah. Uh, my my word, Captain Solo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I think that uh, getting off that track shows that, yeah, not a lot to talk about in this episode, right? I mean, I guess except the reveal that these guys, Imperials are working for uh, for for Moff Gideon. That's another thing that we see, but meh. Big big shock. Right. Okay. So, episode uh, or chapter 12, chapter 12, The Siege, directed by Carl Weathers, um, who plays Grief Karga in the sh- in in The Mandalorian. Uh, Apollo Creed. That guy. Yeah. <laughs> From the Rocky movies, just to be clear. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Not not a Star Wars character, Apollo Creed. It does sound like it could be a Star Wars name. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Oh, man, I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> Somebody emailed... Okay, no, anyway. Uh, so, this uh, throwback episode. So, Mando goes back to the planet from Season 1 and meets all his old friends from Season 1 and goes on a brief and very Star Wars adventure with them. Yeah, like... Uh, like, the, there's, an, there's a secret Imperial base and a briefing they have to have around a hologram and a, a complex plan that goes wrong and a single weakness that can be exploited to blow up the whole thing <laughs> and then escape before it goes off and then a laser chase. Like, it was, it, it was very formulaic Star Wars in a way. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think we got some cool new information by the end of it and, and some teases, or at least, uh, I don't know, there's like background stuff that a, a lot of people are, are discussing. Yeah, yeah, the, like the end of this episode paid it off, I think, because lots of stuff to start a new discussion for. Um, but this this episode, I, 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 we don't have enough time to get into this one as much as I want, but this episode I felt like was all the things I didn't want to happen to The Mandalorian. 
Um, the Mandalorian in season one is very separated from the rest of Star Wars. It's very much its own corner of the galaxy doing its own thing. Whereas this sort of felt like a generic, like it could have been any Star Wars movie. Like, like remember when you watched Solo and it was like, oh, it's not bad. Like, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's certainly nothing interesting about it. There's really no reason for me to watch this ever again or at all. Yeah, and I know that they, they kind of made f- friends by the end of season one, but Grief Karga kind of was a jerk in, in season one, and it, in this episode, they're all, like, best friends, and that didn't feel earned to me. Yeah, his turn either. is really fast in chapter eight. He, uh, the, the child heals his scars. He's like, well, this guy helped me out. I guess I'm switching sides. Right. And that was it. And he's all in. Like, it's not a question of, like, maybe a little bit. Like, no, he's immediately on their side. I guess the, the Empire doesn't give him much of a choice, but still, you'd expect there to be a little bit of, oh, maybe I can save my own skin by selling them out. Maybe I have to have, like, a long, dark night of the soul and figure out who I really am as a person. And, and even if, if he has this quick change where he's fully on board with them, I don't, I, I don't see that the Mandalorian would, would forgive him that easily. Yeah, right? But anyway, it was a fun adventure episode, and there's some some lulls in it. Yeah, fun adventure, fun quips, a lot of like Star Wars, like ragtag crew banter. Uh, a lot, you know, a lot of like, conflicting skill sets when they're they're trying to hack the door, and the Mandalorian just flies up and throws some troopers off of a cliff and messes around up there, and the door opens. Like that was fun. That's exactly yeah. the kind of silly Star Wars stuff you want to see. But like by the end of it, I just, I don't know. I, this, this one just felt the most generic to me, and I was concerned. Uh, I felt like it was just checking off the, the Star Wars bo- tick boxes. Like, I especially like, complete with the TIE fighter chase, which, oh, by the way, apparently all TIE fighters do the Moff Gideon thing now where their wings fold. That's new. I thought, I, I, I'm sure you're right that that is... Not care. I mean, anytime we've seen Tie Fighters in in the past, they've been hanging from the ceiling of of Star Destroyers when they're they're not flying around. So, so yeah, that that makes sense that it's a weird adjustment, but it looks really cool. Yeah, okay, that's that's fair. It does, and it makes sense. Like it's a completely believable modification, right? Like those are ungainly ships, like hard to store. So why wouldn't they do that? But I mean, they certainly haven't done that before. Uh, but like by the end, when they have to have a chase with Tie Fighters shooting at them, it's I mean, it's great. I love Tie Fighters chases. That but it happens so often, it just felt like you couldn't have done something a little more. And like I, I don't know, nothing. What like that chase? All it really did was pad the episode. That's fair, and and sort of a. Uh, uh an out-of-nowhere save by the Mandalorian for them, right? Like, he comes out of the sky in his ship that probably still should be getting repaired. But it seems like it's back in perfect shape very quickly. Yeah. Anyway, w- w- let's get into the nitty-gritty of it. What are the what are the takeaways from the end of this? There's, like, oh, a yes. reveal about what where, they were, what they wanted the child for and yeah, how, all sorts where, of stuff. God, where do we even start? Because you have to go, like, forwards and backwards in chronology. Um, so they, they get in there and they find the recording from, from Dr. Pershing, from the scientist from season one. Um, well, I guess the first thing we see is, like, the Snoke bodies in the tubes, right? Like, Well, 
Are they? It's hard to say. There's definitely like a mangled like b- like body in a tube. It's very suggestive of cloning. Yeah. Um, and we know that Dr. Pershing, like his outfit, it has the same insignia as the cloners from Camino. So we've got like we got plenty of plenty of signs pointing to clones. And the recording they find is a transmission from him to Gideon, which is how they find out that Gideon is still alive. Um, but he's going on about how he's been transfusing the blood of the child, which has a high M count into test subjects, which is a fine way to not say the word midichlorians. The incredibly stupid scientific, like microbe explanation for the force we got in the prequels. Thanks, George. Like, yeah, it's like it's supposed to be a magic religion thing. We don't need it to be a disease. Yeah, and and since then, since it came out that oh yeah, the force is just due to a high midichlorian count in your blood. People have been saying, well, why don't they just transplant Jedi blood into a bunch of people and make them awesome force? It seems like that's what they're doing. So it explains, it starts to explain what they wanted the child for, is they want some midichlorians to put into blood. And the implication is they're creating, a, trying to create a Force-sensitive clone body. And who would they be creating that for? Well, we still don't have a great explanation as to where Snoke came from in the sequel trilogy, or how Emperor Palpatine came back. It's almost like we hope that maybe that's what this is. <laughs> I hope it's not... I hope they're not going to waste too much shoe leather trying to justify stuff from from the pre the sequel movies, but uh, I guess we'll find out. I mean, did you have any other thoughts about what they were doing with it? Uh, no, not not from what I I was reading. Well, not from what I saw in the episode. Is there any possibility that they're trying to make some sort of like force sensitive stormtroopers or something? Could be. And that sort of ties into the last shot of this episode, right? Like, we see Moff Gideon, and he, he twirls his mustache and gives a sinister <laughs> laugh. Um, and it zooms out, and he's in a hallway of what look like... I mean, well, we just, we just see, like, dark mechanical figures in these alcoves, but it's suggestive of what? It could be droids, it could be dark troopers, Star Wars sort of, like, like super robot stormtroopers that we see in expanded universe material. Uh, it could just be, like, those assassin droid things that we see from Rebels or from everywhere else. There's, It's not clear, but he's clearly doing something with these things. So, yeah, my first take was, yeah, maybe he's trying to make Force-sensitive guys. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, it would make the stormtroopers more effective and than they are. They're almost as big a joke as, as the red shirts from Star Trek, so maybe trying to make them actually a threat, which they definitely weren't in this episode. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, stormtroopers are ever so rarely a threat. Like, they have other kinds of troopers specifically for when they want to denote that this is something the audience should be worried about. Right, that's why they have death troopers, or why they have fl- troopers with flamethrowers. Like they always, they have things that look and function a lot differently than stormtroopers because they know when we see that white armor, and it, it's just, it's not even cannon fodder. Cannon fodder is generous. Nobody is worried when a stormtrooper shows up. Yeah, both in and out of cannon. So, <laughs> so yeah. So this was. Uh, so yeah, I had mixed feelings about this episode. But we get a lot of fun information in the end, and we're learning a little bit more about the villain's scheme, which, for the folks who are looking at it as more of an arc, it's, it's good to have. Uh, 
it's it's definitely looking like he's you know Mando isn't going to be wandering around in the wild west solving random problems for much longer because he's getting involved in some big time stuff. And in case you didn't pick up on that on your own, they uh, they brought back Kim's convenience to to interview Carl Weathers about it again, and just to lay out for everybody. There's more here than meets the eye, right? Yeah, and it, it was a good ending, a good tease, uh, especially with four episodes left. There's there's not a lot of room for filler, you know. We got to get to the the real meat of this story here, and and hopefully get a proper confrontation between. Moff Gideon in the Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh, and also credit where credits due. I really liked his conversation with uh, with Gina Carano with Cara Dune, where it's like you like you're you're a super kick-ass rebel soldier, and you're you're spending all your time out here in the Wild West doing nothing. But there's you know there's there's more to it. There's like there's a bigger thing going on, and don't you feel an obligation to that? And we get we're left with the impression that she's conflicted, and I think adding to her character is. Is, is kind of nice because what we really know about her character so far is that she hates the Empire and blows stuff up and yeah, having it I develop wish it was a better actress but uh, you know they, they are playing the hand they were dealt and you know for the character she's had to play so far it, it's been fine right most of the yeah. time she just has to be angry and shooting guns yeah yeah and she she does that well and she that, that she does anyway um Chapter 12, The Siege. It was fine. New stuff learned. Fair enough. Uh, chapter 13, uh, the fifth episode and the most recent. Chapter 13, The Jedi, which really should be called The Citizen if you're a huge Star Wars dork, but neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. So, wow. Ahsoka Tano. Jeez. Everyone was waiting for Ahsoka Tano, and I think the the implication was that like the expectation was that she would show up in like the last four frames of this episode and have like one line and then that would be it uh, but no this episode opens with a Jedi Knight kicking ass yeah it, it was really cool and it was uh, surprising to see and and uh, you know you hadn't really seen much uh, lightsaber action on this show yeah. and, and we and got more than our fill on this one so happy it's a part of our motivation for making sure we got this episode out is because the, the the Star Wars corners of the internet are still popping confetti. Okay, so Ahsoka Tano, what, who the heck is this, I hear you asking, because you're not a huge Star Wars dork. Ahsoka Tano is Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. Anakin had a Padawan, you say? I've watched all the movies, and I didn't see that. Well, no, because the, the Star Wars cartoons is where this character was introduced. She was created by George Lucas and Dave Filoni for the premiere of Star Wars The Clone Wars, the cartoon, in 2008. And the shows didn't initially revolve around her. I guess they still didn't even at the end, but she became a major character and fan favorite. She, she, she starts off as, like, the precocious youth, and there's a fun sort of, you know, role switch for Anakin, because for a while, Anakin and Obi-Wan relationship has been mentor to, like, wild apprentice. Well, now Anakin has to try and be, you know, more responsible as a master, and she's all wild, but she, she grows up, and she learns who she is and develops her own personality, and... Oh, God, short, short, short version is she ends up leaving the Jedi Order... Uh, Sort of for the reasons that we realize the Jedi Order kind of suck in the prequels. Like, she realizes that they're not going about this the right way, and sort of becomes an independent character. And is that 
So, so I'm gonna go sort of deep cut here. Uh, uh, at least my version of deep cut is so Order sixty six ends. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, and that's where the clone troopers are ordered to kill the Jedi they're with, and that's why all the Jedi are gone by the time of A New Hope and Luke Skywalker, except for Obi-Wan and Yoda, uh, and now Ahsoka Tano. Is that, is the reason she survived because it's connected, she wasn't a Jedi but put it this point? way, the, the climactic finale of the Star Wars Clone Wars cartoon overlaps with the Revenge of the Sith, the movie. Um, to the point which there are a couple of scenes in Revenge of the Sith where we see in this cartoon that like Ahsoka was just off camera, <laughs> like she was she was just over there, um, so she does have her own event, like, encounter with Order sixty six, um, but yes, yeah, some of these complications are what help her her through it, and then we see her again in the cartoon Star Wars Rebels, which takes place like right before Luke Skywalker, basically where she's older now and wiser and still like Force powered, um, but not, that is very clear in the fact that she is not a Jedi. And there's a wonderfully dramatic setup where she encounters Darth Vader and figures out that he was Anakin, and they have a whole thing. And it's an incredibly emotional moment for a cartoon, but neither here nor there. Star Wars Rebels, that cartoon, takes place pre-Luke Skywalker, and then in its epilogue, when that show is over, skips ahead in time to the end of Return of the Jedi, where we see Ahsoka Tano and a couple of the other characters from that cartoon are going off on a whole other quest, which I don't have time to discuss here. <laughs> Chronologically, then, this is the furthest ahead in the timeline that we've seen her. So this, so people who have fallen in love with this character over the last 12 years, this is the first really like new information about what's happened to her and what's going on with her now and where she is. So, so in human years, how old is she supposed to be at this point? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, she's not human, right? So who knows how her species ages? Okay, well, but, let's say she's like a teenager in the in her first appearance, like 16. How much time has passed? Oh, 40 God. years? Okay, so she is a teenager in the Clone Wars, and that lasts for about five years. So let's assume she's very early 20s during Order 66. And then about 20 years pass until A New Hope. So now she's, like, what, late 30s, early 40s um, at that point. And then the Star Wars classic trilogy takes place over about three years. So let's not age her up then. Let's still say late 30s, early 40s. And then it seems kind of unclear how far after Return of the Jedi we are right now. Right. Um... So she could be mid-40s at this point? Maybe 50? Yeah, maybe 50 at the outside, I would say. Sounds right. Okay. Again, with the caveat that who knows how her species ages. She's Togruta. Um, so it's, that doesn't tell you much. But yeah, so it makes sense that she's playing a woman now and not a teenager. And what we find out in this episode is that the character that we've been calling the child is probably at least as old as she is, if not older. Right. I mean, we get from season one, they're supposed to be about 50, right? Okay. The Werner I don't Herzog, remember that, but... Yeah, Werner it, Herzog tells us that he's about 50 years old. Um, and yeah, I was doing adorable. that math with you, because she mentions in this episode that apparently he was trained for a while in the Jedi Temple before Order 66, and it was like, oh god, okay, does that even add up? <laughs> and the answer is kind of, I think so. Right. Uh, anyway, this is 
in case I haven't made it clear. So this is a huge fan dump for people. People love this character, but she's always been sort of safely off screen, right? Like if all, all Star Wars you know is from what you saw in the movie theater, you never ran into her and you never needed to. It was never important, even though she was influencing events. Well, now she's front and center. Arguably, this episode is more about her than it is about the Mandalorians. So, so look, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're really into Mando, but you have no idea who Ahsoka is, that's the quick, quick, quick version. But boy, if you're intrigued, you've got a lot of catching up to do. And And even then, it's like, you can enjoy the episode, I think, without knowing any of that. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's fair. It's still a good episode. But the stuff that, like, the implications that it leaves for the future of Star Wars, all the seeds, I guess, kind of like those side chapters from the Aftermath trilogy, uh, those are going to go right over your head. And it's clear this episode was filmed around those seeds. The, so the end of Star Wars Rebels... The, the hero character, who Ezra Bridger, who's, who knows Ahsoka, he and Grand Admiral Thrawn disappear. Uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, the Imperial character, uh, one of the best villains, most loved villains by everybody in Star Wars except for Graham, uh, love Grand Admiral Thrawn. We've discussed it before. We have an entire Grand Admiral Thrawn episode. Feel free to <laughs> check back our, our archives if you want that. He's the major antagonist in Rebels for seasons three and four. He and Ezra disappear. The climactic keystone to this episode is we find out that what Ahsoka is doing here, fighting these people, is because the bad guy in this episode works for Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is the first time we've heard his name mentioned in live action. And just the promise that maybe he'll appear in a live action capacity the way Ahsoka has, I mean... I'm not nearly as, ex- well, maybe a little excitable, but I'm not nearly as excitable as a lot of these people on the internet. Like, the internet is going nuts right now. Um, I was pretty excited, too. I definitely had hands in the air as soon as I heard the name. And just for the tease, right? We only hear her say the words. There's no hint, no nothing to say he's ever actually going to show up on screen. But just mentioning it, it was such a calculated move. Like, if, like if, as, I don't know, is, I guess Lucasfilm is on the stock market, right? Uh, or I guess, would it just be well, Disney No, it would be now? Disney, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's hard to tell if Disney stock goes up, but I bet you it did. So, so... Good heavens. It seems to be interesting. They have brought these cartoon characters over to the live action. We have two recent examples where they've gone two different directions with... Uh, Bo-Katan, they use the original voice actress as the the character, and with Ahsoka Tano, they use a brand new actor playing that role. So, do you think for Thrawn, they might bring in Lars Mikkelsen, who to who did the voice in uh, Rebels, to to play him? I hope so. I mean, Lars Mikkelsen is an actor, and I think that's I mean, the, I think that's so the, is Ahsoka Tano. Uh, Ahsoka Tano is voiced by Ashley Eccleston, and she's a great voice actor. Uh, but she hasn't actually done any acting. That's not to say she's not a great actor, actress. I'm not sure what's PC anymore. But she hasn't, like, she doesn't have, you know, I, I, she doesn't have the, the chops. It's like, she hasn't she has put in the time. She doesn't have a resume for that sort of thing. So I get that. I understand. Like, it makes sense to me that they would cast an, as someone who's actually you know, been on screen before to play her character. Again, right. the voice acting talent for Ahsoka, especially in the later seasons, like, is phenomenal. 
She's great at it, but there's a big difference between voice acting and acting acting. It's a lot more work to do. Lars Mikkelsen has acted before. Right? He's, I can't do a lot off the top of my head. I know he was in Sherlock um, in season three of Sherlock. He's done other stuff, other bigger stuff. I don't have his Wikipedia open. I mean, he's, he's Mads Mikkelsen's brother, and Mads Mikkelsen is the much bigger star, but they have True. a similar vibe, this sort of deadpan evilness. Yeah. Um, does he look like Grand Admiral Thrawn? I mean, it's, it would be... Look, you dye his hair black, paint him blue. It doesn't take much more than that. <laughs> I would argue that there is a certain <laughs> presence you're looking for. Uh, it's hard to say. And again... None of this. No, like, we knew Ahsoka was going to be played live action since, what, May earlier? Um, there's been not a peep of a hint of a word of Cass Thrawn. I would be, ex- I would be, it would be a shocking reveal if he was showing up this season. So this is all crazy-ass speculation. Um, but it's got people very excited. Anyway, we haven't talked much about the episode. Um, this was also a good episode, I thought. I, 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 this was the way that episode I said was too much Star Wars and not enough Mandalorian. I thought this episode did it really well. It still felt like a Mandalorian episode, even though it had lightsabers and Jedi and stuff in it. It still felt small and precise and to the point. And there's a, a moment at the end of the episode. I, this is what I, I teased when we were talking about Western stuff earlier. There's a moment towards the end where Mandalorian is facing off in, like, a gun battle with this one guy. Uh, and on the other side of a wall that Mando's back is to, uh, Ahsoka Tano and this, this, the villain of this episode are having a sword fight. And it was like, so so samurai movies and westerns are, are cut from the same cloth. And it was like a samurai movie happening on one side of the wall and a western happening on the other side of the wall. Right, yeah, the shootout, right, the, the draw moment that yeah. was coming there. That had that, th- that that tension so thick you could chew it like a steak. And then on the other side was karate flips and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. Uh, we shouldn't also go too far without also mentioning that we finally got a name for the child. We don't have to say Baby Yoda anymore. But uh, we will. We probably will, because the name is Grogu. Yeah. And... I mean, it's just as alien-sounding as Yoda, so that's fine, but it's... But, I mean, man, like, Disney really didn't want us to say Baby Yoda. Like, they were trying really hard to get us to say The Child, and that didn't work. Uh, If people still say Baby Yoda to this day, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to to undo that. And, God, are they going to relabel all their merch, do you think? Um, maybe, I don't think they'll relabel it, but any new stuff might be Grogu or, like, the child slash Grogu or something like that. Yeah, and people will still go into stores and ask for the Baby Yodas anyway, because... Yeah, exactly. No one's gonna read the box. (laughs) Anyway, it's got a name. He's got a name. That was pejorative. Jeez. (laughs) Get woke, Jesse. He's got a name, and uh, Mandalo is... uh, Ahsoka is refusing to train him because she senses much fear, which... That's an ironic reversal of of those roles. Um, But she tells the Mandalorian to take him to the planet Tython, uh, another EU planet reference, to find a Jedi temple that apparently is going to act like a Jedi CB radio and try to maybe find somebody else who can train him. Which this is... Go for it. I just, I mean, that seems, it seems weird. It seems like it doesn't make sense, but it also seems like it's a lot of Star Wars BS. Like maybe they're going to end up there and it's, you know, what she told them was only true from a certain point of view and there's something else there that might help. 
Yeah, and, and I can understand how she might feel like she can't train him, but maybe there'd be a, another Jedi who'd be willing to give a shot uh, to tra- training yeah. him. And let's be clear, there's not a lot of Jedi left at this point in the Star Wars franchise, but there's also the incredibly famous Luke Skywalker, who at this point yeah. has killed Darth Vader and the Emperor and saved the galaxy, so... And depending on the timeline, is setting up a Jedi school, isn't he? I Yeah, or at least... Yeah, yeah, I guess he is. I mean, so, I imagine there was some period of transition between the two, between, you know, fighter pilot Jedi Knight Luke Skywalker and Grandmaster Professor Skywalker, but yeah, it feels like that would be happening right now, so maybe he's there. It's, it's interesting because, well, I don't know if it's actually interesting, but it's interesting <laughs> to me because Tython, the planet they reference in like all the lore, like all the legends material, that was the whole first Jedi Temple thing. And then okay. in the sequels, they did the first Jedi Temple, but they invented a new planet for it, the planet that nobody knows how to pronounce, the Akto, or Actu, okay. or Ak- who knows? Act 1, Act 3, who but, can say? But yeah, the little island with the porgs. Like that, everything about that island, like we already had in Star Wars, it was just called Tython. So now I guess Tython has to be something else. Um, the the other knows? thing... That, that struck me about that whole moment at the end is, and and maybe it's not fair for me to say this because I'm, I haven't watched all the cartoon stuff, but from what I've seen of Rebels, it felt very Dave Filoni. Like, the Jedi characters on Rebels always seem to be going to mysterious temples, Jedi temples, and, and having these uh, vision quests on them. And, yep. and it just felt like, well, here we go again. Very... Very familiar trope we're we're stepping into here, just in live action now. Yeah, for sure. You you are not out of line. That is a very much his thing. And I mean, you know, bringing these all these cartoon characters back and all these like it definitely seems like we're we're dipping our toes in the Filoni verse, as it were. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how much of that overlaps with the Mandalorian because so far, in some ways, that has been done really well. Like, I think in this episode, it, it worked out really well, but also in some other episodes, like Bo-Katan and, you know, and the, the siege back on Navarro, I thought it was a little bit too Star Wars and not enough Mandalorian. And I really like the Mandalorian for what it is, separate from how Star Wars usually runs. So we're going to have to see what happens with that balance. I wonder if it's going to be a kind of thing, like, you know how we talk about how Firefly never got a chance to disappoint us? It's like, well, if it kept going for a few seasons and they got involved in a larger world, would it have gotten more Star Wars? It's, and yeah. is that good? It's hard to say. And this series, The Mandalorian, seems very focused on the story of the Mandalorian and Grand and Moff Gideon and uh, and and Grogu, and to have teased all this stuff with Ahsoka and Grand Admiral Thrawn, it, it feels like it would be a big change of pace for that to become a, a major plot line in it. And I was just talking with Jesse a little bit before we started recording about the possibility of it being a spin-off where Ahsoka's the lead character and, and Thrawn is her main villain in that. Right, maybe she gets her own show and they keep doing their own thing. It's a, Rosario Dawson's a big get and to have her just in one or two episodes of this seems like a bit of a wasted opportunity. And I'm sure Disney would love to greenlight more Star Wars shows. I mean, they've been saying, like, Mandalorian is streaming way, way more than anything else on Disney+. Plus. 
well, all the Marvel shows have been delayed and delayed and delayed because of coronavirus, but uh, those, I'm sure, would, were meant to be the things that carried people through between Mandalorian seasons. <laughs> <laughs> but now... Yeah, now everything's up for grabs. Yeah, well, in any case, those were the five episodes so far of season two. Um, I guess, uh, any final thoughts? How are you feeling about this season so far? I can't believe we only have three episodes left. It uh, feels like it's all gone very quickly. Yeah, right? Isn't that brutal? Yeah. I had the same thing with Lower Decks. Eight episodes is not enough for a season. You leave me, I also you leave me feel hungry. Like, <laughs> that, I, I also feel like uh, I learned a lot through the course of this podcast. Uh, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> I hope that everyone at home did, too. Um, in my case, I'm, I'm also really enjoying this season. Um, it's different enough from season one that I'm curious to see where it goes. Um, I really did like a lot of season one, so some of the changes have me a bit nervous. But, I mean, in in no way is that going to make me lose interest in this. I'm still looking forward to each new episode every week, and I am going to be bereft when it's when it's finished. So, yeah, we uh, th- that's our thoughts about it. Uh, maybe you think different. Uh, maybe you've got other complaints. Maybe you've got other things that we missed. Uh, this is the kind of thing. We spend most of our time talking about Star Wars and arguing about this kind of thing. So if you want to jump in, you'd be welcome. All kinds of ways you can get a hold of us. Yes, please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. Absolutely would love to hear your thoughts. And just, hey, by the way, thank you for listening to the show. Um, It's just, we get to do this because of you, and we really appreciate it. And while we're giving out thanks, also just want to mention our thanks to Jamie Reum, R-E-A-U-M-E, our musician-in-chief, the guy behind our theme song. Check him out at Jamie Reum, or Jamie underscore Reum, YouTube and Instagram, respectively. Be sure to check out his virtual trivia pub night project, triviashmivia.com. It's a hell of a lot of fun. The Mandalorian Season 2 continues on Disney+. Plus. We've got three more episodes. Um, and if you haven't caught up to five, I mean, well, why are you listening to this podcast? Because we just spoiled the whole darn thing. But hey, worst case scenario, go back and, I guess, best case scenario. Best case scenario, go back and watch them again because they're great. That'll keep you busy until uh, until the next episode where you hear from us again. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we'll talk to you again next week.